Hi and welcome to the GMC Sunday podcast where our team from GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland, bring you our weekly message from the Lord. This podcast brings you a sermon series in St Paul's letter to the Ephesians, grounding ourselves in the Church of Jesus Christ. Each week our preaching team will consider Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and the wider region of then Asia Minor and in it see one of the most contemporary letters for the church today. It's a letter filled with deep meaning, exploring the past, present and future with his great argument. Paul considers all things before the foundation of the world and then carries it on to the fullness of times, embracing in its compass all things in heaven and on earth. Ephesians sets the theological landscape for those who love Jesus in order that they will bear fruit as individuals and as the universal church. Thanks for joining us on this podcast and we hope you're both encouraged to respond to God's word and will be challenged by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are indeed our refuge and our strength. We humble ourselves now in your presence and as we make solemn remembrance before you this day of the great things that have been done for us, we earnestly seek your mercy and your grace. Almighty God, you are king over all, and in the multitude of your mercies, you have brought us to this day. So we thank you for all your goodness, for your loving kindness, for the gracious providence that guided and sustained us in the dark days of the wars, for the defense that you raised up for us in our time of need, We give you thanks and we give you praise for the grace that upheld us through the years of danger and of sorrow and for the final deliverance that you gave to us. We praise and bless your holy name. We cried to you in trouble and you heard us. We put our trust in you and we were not let down. Lord Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We acknowledge, O Lord, that we are not worthy of the sufferings of those who laid down their lives on our behalf. We've been forgetful of their sacrifice. We've not fulfilled the vows which, when we were in trouble, our lips have spoken. When we sinned through selfishness and ingratitude, through worldliness and hardness of heart. Above all, O God, we confess that we've sinned against you, who sent your only Son into the world to give his life a ransom for many. We have not denied ourselves for his sake, nor have we taken up our cross and truly and fully followed him. Oh, give us grace, we pray, truly to repent and forgive our sins, we humbly pray. And please grant us, as we gather here in your most holy presence, that we may sense your nearness and feel your love for us. Please speak to us from your word as your servant opens it up to us this morning. 
Help us, O Lord, that we, being mindful of your great goodness, may yield ourselves in a new obedience to your holy will and live as those who are not their own, but who are bought with a price through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Following the prayer, I hope your heart has been stilled and prepared for God's word today to reach you where you are. If anything you hear in today's word from God and in the sermon challenges you, maybe raising questions and you want to know more about how we can support you in your faith, or maybe how you might like to support GMC in our ministry for the kingdom, then please contact us through our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. It carries on in Ephesians and it's chapter 5 and we're hearing from verse 21 which we heard last week. Um, I'm going to pick up there again through to verse 33. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, may differ to those of your Bible which are NIV but hear the word of God. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. And as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Father, we thank you for the reading of your holy word to your name. Be praise and glory. So today's passage has already been read, husbands and wives. I've been deliberating and praying on this passage because there is so much in it. Do you know, it really deserves more than a single sermon, but that's all I have. Um, a pastor who I uh, admire uh, spent three sermons on this one passage, an hour each sermon, one for the women and two for the men. <laughs> but as I've been looking at it, I'm thinking it's something I need to come back in the future, and I will do, um, quite how and in what form, I don't know, but um, I'm praying on that. 
But this morning, I want you to listen close to what I'm saying. Not what you think I'm saying, but what God is saying through his word, the Bible. For the Bible is God's living, breathed word of truth. It's ridiculed by many today in the world. It's not relevant to people's life and lifestyles, or so they think. Yes, we've got politicians and secular law to manage the way society lives. And so the Bible gets relegated, ignored, and worst of all, amended to fit the morals of society today. But know this, God's word is unchanging. So please carefully listen to what is being said, not what you think is being said. So with that preamble out of the way, um, let's move on. Last week I quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I'm going to start with another quote from him. Christianity has something to say about the whole of life. There is no aspect which it does not consider and which it does not govern. And that's obviously if you're a Christian. If you consider yourself to be a Christian, it really is not the local authority, the local central government that truly rules your life. Yes, you need to follow civil law, follow the laws of the land, as long as they're not contrary to God's law. But ultimately, at the heart of the Christian faith, Christ is what governs our life. All of it. Not the bits we want him to govern. And nothing so destroys the witness of the gospel as compartmentalization of our faith. We'll let it into those bits of our life, but we won't let it into the others. It's not just on a Sunday morning for an hour or two. It's all week. God wants a relationship 24-7. And that is a relationship of love. And that is to be mirrored in marriage. It's to be mirrored in relationships with our children, with our family members, with our co-workers, with our colleagues. In the coming weeks, we'll get to children, slaves and masters, or in modern-day parlance, employees and employers. But as fallen people, relationships are difficult between one another and definitely between the sexes. So what is the context that Paul is talking about here when he writes between a man and a woman? Because before I get to the passage, I need to speak about context. Well, the passage is about marriage. So it's addressed to people who are married. That's pretty simple. If you're, if you're not married, if you're single, you don't qualify. Yeah? If you're not a Christian, you don't qualify. But if you're single, you are going to do one of two things. You're going to stay single, or you're going to get married. There is a third option. I'm not going to give it any truck, which is you're not going to stay single, and you're going to live with your partner outside of marriage, which is not condoned by God. End of. God does give to some the gift of singleness. And that does come with a devotion to the Lord for a Christian. Remember, I'm talking to Christians here. But unless that's your calling, and I know I'm speaking to an older congregation here, but we have some younger unmarried people here. Unless that's your calling, marriage is to you God's gift of grace. If you yourselves have children or grandchildren in relationships with living with partners, tell them to get married. I thank Emma when I met Emma that we were married within six months. It was pretty quick. From our first date, it was less than six months. 
Some of our friends thought marrying in that short time frame from meeting and dating to getting married was a surefire surefire way to end in divorce. In fact, we later found out after we came back from our honeymoon that they'd been discussing it on one of the tables at our reception. Nice, huh? Well, the folk who are on that table don't walk with the Lord and they're either divorced, single, or living in sin. Just saying. Yet here, 26 later, Emma and I are still together walking with the Lord by, the, by his grace in marriage. Today, if folk, though, do marry, the trend is they are leaving it later in life. Couples spend time dating, living together, planning their future, maybe have the children, get the house. And if they do decide to marry, the engagement's elongated. It's put off till later. And I, I don't quite know why. If you're content enough to live with someone, have intimate relations with them, have children, buy a house and set up a home, and go to all that commitment, why on earth would people not get married? I don't get it. Because that is actually saying to the other person, I'm, I, I'm happy to commit to all these things, but I'm not happy to commit to marriage in the sight of God. It's saying that I won't say these words. I take you to be my wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part according to God's holy ordinance. It's saying I don't want to say those things. But that's the commitment of marriage. So God's this word this morning is to the married among us, but also an invitation to the unmarried to come into that most holy of God-ordained relationships by the grace of God. The second context is that it is by grace. Remember that it, for, it, it's a couple of weeks back, I think, or, or last week, Paul wrote about being filled with the Spirit. He was talking about not being filled with wine but, uh, and, and debauchery and drunkenness, but being filled with the Spirit. This is the context. The Christian is filled with the Spirit. Those who are walking with Christ are continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, last week we heard people will sing out praise. They're, they're giving of themselves because the Holy Spirit is within them. They are also giving thanks. They're looking up to God And then in that verse 21, they are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is about spirit-filled people submitting to one another in fear, in awe, in reverence of the Holy Son of God, not living by their own agendas, but instead caring for brother and sister. And that is so countercultural. It makes no sense to a world that so often is self-absorbed, self-centered, and full of pride. That word, submission, I don't very often talk about Greek, but hupotasso in the Greek. Tasso means to be, to be arranged, to be placed. Hupo means under. Hupotasso, arranged or placed under. We're on Remembrance Day. 
imagine military setting, if you've ever served in the military, if ever you've been in a boys' brigade, a girls' brigade, that, there are ranks. You serve under someone who has responsibility for you. Hupo tasso. Arrange yourself under, place yourself under someone who has responsibility. That's what it means. The third context, moving on from grace, is that marriage is between one man and one woman. Controversial. Well, to some it is. I say forget the errant and heretical ways of our denomination, the Church of Scotland. I'll say that again. Forget them. Christian marriage is, as Paul writes in verse 31, where a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's Christian marriage. The secular marriage, but that's Christian marriage. It's God's good creation, God's great eternal gift to humanity for life, relationship, and mutuality. And it's grounded in Genesis. At last the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And then verse 24 of chapter 2. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Some will argue. Yeah, this whole marriage thing. It's, it's all Old Testament and Paul has a real hang-up about women. It's all Pauline and it's all Old Testament. Jesus, when he had a question from the Pharisees on divorce, uh, which is in Matthew 19, 4-6, has this to say, Haven't you read the Scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, Let no one split apart what God has joined together. It's Jesus as well. This is gospel stuff. And the last contextual point, I think any of us that have been married, are married, will know that marriage is a mystery. Profound mystery is what Paul says. A long, successful, life-giving, God-honoring marriage is a relationship between a husband and wife with God at its center. And so because God is at the center, of course, in a spiritual sense, it is an absolute divine mystery because in some sense, God is a mystery. But it's also marriage is the image of the human relationship with God, with Christ, and with his church. This marriage of a husband and wife mirrors the marriage of us to Christ, uh, for we are his church, we are his bride, and it's God's gift of grace. And this institution of marriage has been under attack since, well, the fall. Marriage in the garden was formed in the perfection of God, Adam and Eve, woman from man, a helper to man, a union of equals with complementary roles, a union with God the Creator. But following the fall, things go really wrong really fast. 
Genesis 4, we see the introduction of polygamy when Lamech takes two wives. Genesis 16, adultery. Abraham sleeps with his wife Sarah's slave girl. Genesis 19, homosexuality in Sodom and incest with Lot and his daughters. Genesis 34, fornication and unequal yoking. Genesis 38, we find incest again and prostitution. And Genesis 39, evil seduction. Humans are pretty fast to go wrong in relationships. It's a catalogue of sinfulness in marriage relationships that kind of has set this division between man and woman, woman and man, and it was and is not what God intends. Marriage should be between an equally yoked man and woman in full union before their loving creator, and this is what Paul is writing about. This is the context. So to wives, and this morning, women, I am going to get to your husbands too. But hear what God has to say to the wives, not to women, but to the wives of one man. It's about the husband and wife relationship. It's not about a woman-man relationship. It's not about the relationship with your boss having authority and power or your neighbor, or your husband's friend. This is Christian women filled with the Spirit, committed in marriage, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it requires grace, a desire to love, to serve, to be subject to. The original words of verse 22, the word submit is absent from it. You're thinking, great. Actually, it is better read or translated, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. But it is picking up from verse 21, that mutual submission that Paul talks about in 21. It's picking that up. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. If you allow me a moment, I'll go to Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You might think, why am I pulling that in? That speaks about oneness in Christ. All are one. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male or female. All are one in Christ. But it isn't talking about sameness, because there is distinction. The male and female are different. The Jew and the Gentile are different. The slave and the free are different. They are one in Christ, but they are different. Different categories of responsibility designed and divinely instituted for good relationships. It's kind of like this. If you have more than one captain on a ship, or more than one captain on a sports pitch, there's lots of analogies I could throw out there, there's going to be division. Actually, you sometimes see it on a sports pitch. You've got the actual captain and the person the players really look up to, and it causes issues. Chaos, even. So there are different people, different roles, some in leadership and headship, and others submitting to that headship. Yet, in it, in the Christian sense, all are submitting to Christ if they are one in Christ. So what does to submit in Christian marriage mean? 
It means willingly accepting the God-given authority of the husband by the wife, but it's not the husband who places the wife into submission. That's not his role. It's rather the wife to pick it up in respect of her husband. It's not obeying commands, but it's rather about ordering a married life. So it's an active submission, not passive. It doesn't demean the wife either. Go away and read Proverbs 31, the description of the virtuous wife. She's noble, she's an industrious worker, she has her own role and her work. She makes the best use of her day, rising early, going to bed late. She's really industrious. She's a businesswoman. She has the ability to save, save so much that she can buy a field and use that to enhance her family's resources available to them. She's also charitable. She cares for others. She cares for others outside her home and has a strong care and compassion for her family. She cares about them being instructed, being grown in the faith. And she watches over the affairs of the family. And rightly so, she is blessed by her husband and her children, giving thanks for her. And most importantly in all of this, this wonderful woman, she has a reverent fear of the Lord. She is far from the downtrodden woman. And you've got to remember that Paul is writing in a society. This, these words of Paul in Ephesians are in a society where women had no role. They had no value. They were chattels. Some may argue that's still the case today in parts of the world. But I'd argue here the Bible is speaking up for women. And as I've mentioned, Paul is not teaching that all women should submit to all men in general. Absolutely not. He only writes that it is to be her own husband. But there's got to be a reason. Why? Why? I've already mentioned the first. The, the why is it, it's about that distinct difference between men and women. Psychologically, physiologically, masculinity and femininity matter. The sexes are absolutely equal before God, but they are not identical. That is something our world, our Western world especially, is trying to cast aside today. Equality isn't about being the same. And so Christians should hold simultaneously to equality with complementarity. It's a partnership where each person brings what they have which isn't identical but is distinctive and when brought together in a union it becomes so much greater than the sum of its parts. I would be so much diminished if I wasn't married to Emma. I would be so much less. But equally, I think, on the other hand, Emma is so blessed by being married to me. <laughs> but there's a second reason for submission. For the husband is head of his wife, as Christ is head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. Christ's headship of the church expresses his care of his children, of the bride of Christ. His care, his responsibility for the salvation, and his salvation of it. So like that headship of Jesus, the husband 
the headship of the husband is not so much lordship. It's not about lording it over his wife. It's being savior of. The wife's submission is about accepting the care, the responsibility of the husband to ensure the good salvation of her and the family. That's his responsibility. And it's, it, it's not coercive, this submission. It should rather be joyful, free, voluntary, a thankful partnership as mirrored between Christ and the church. John Stott, the pastor, theologian, sums it up like this. Whenever the husband's headship mirrors the headship of Christ, then the wife's submission to the protection and provision of his love far from detracting from her womanhood, will positively enrich it. But what about limits to submission? Well, verse 24 says, As as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. It's saying there's no compartmentalization in marriage. There's no 50-50 marriage. I like, uh, I don't think I read this anywhere. It's just a thought that's come to me over a number of years. If you only give 50% into your marriage, if you compartmentalize and you give equal amounts into your marriage, you end up with 100% marriage, and that sounds really good. But if you give everything, if you put it all in, 100%, you end up with a 200% marriage union before God, and that's so much better than a 50-50 marriage. Everything in finances, raising the kids, career goals, where to live, giving of your time, talent, money to the church, charity, just life. Everything goes into the marriage. But what if a woman's husband's ability doubts her husband's abilities? You have to, there are women's abilities who, are, who far exceed their husbands. She should work with him for the good of the whole family, of their union, of their marriage, not hold it over him. Because, do you know, society today talks about rights and privileges. There's a lot of what the world owes me. What am I due? And you may hear people complaining about what their husbands are doing and husbands about what their wives should be doing. But that is not the way of biblical marriage. It isn't about privileges and rights, but rather duties and obligations in obedience to God. John MacArthur says God's way to a successful marriage focuses on what husbands and wives put into it, not on what they can get out of it. However, this commitment to submission does not allow a husband to direct his wife to sin. I said this is biblical marriage. It's not a call for a wife to be her husband's slave. And it comes with expectations for the husband to fulfill his biblical obligations to her. And so let's get to husbands. We've got that general statement in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The direct comparison for the man is not submission in marriage, but rather sacrificial love. We often think of love in attractional terms. You know, romantic love, um, affection, all of that. And that is absolutely important. The Greek word used for it is philio. And it's a rather weak verb. It was the word 
used by Stoics of Paul's day to describe, to define love in marriage, filio, this attractional love. But the Christian word for love, agape, is strong and sacrificial. Paul writes, husbands must love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present to her Present her to himself as a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So if husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, then there are these five steps. And on the screen, highlighted in red, the first is love. Christ was pre-existent. His love was before his people. He was always going to set his love upon his people, and that love resolved by him saving them through the cross. His three years of ministry were a ministry of love that led to giving up his life, giving oneself up, that ultimate sacrificial love found at the cross. That's agape love. But why? What's the reason for loving and giving oneself up? Well, He goes on, it's about sanctifying, making holy and clean. But in order to be sanctified, one needs to be cleansed. Sanctification follows cleansing. The cleansing of uh, the church is accomplished by the cleansing word of God. The word of God being both the Holy Scriptures, but also the living Jesus Christ, the Son. It is by the word We as the church are made holy, clean, righteous, sanctified before God, and that is what the husband is also called to do in the family and with his wife, in order, finally, as like Christ, to present her to himself. The work of the bridegroom, his love and self-sacrifice, his cleansing and sanctifying of her, are ultimately designed for her liberation and perfection to himself in glory. Paul weaves between the church and the relationship of marriage between man and woman. The two are so close and intertwined. But what Jesus doesn't do, Paul doesn't do. The Lord Jesus doesn't crush his bride, the church, in sacrificing himself. He serves her in order she might be everything he longs her to be in glory, everything that she was designed to be. And so too, husbands must never crush their wives, stifling them from being who God intends them to be. That's a discernment thing. Who does God intend you to be? So a husband should give himself to his wife in order she would come fully under God in her completeness. That's a bit of an expectation of any man who's married to be like Christ. I'm not sure I can live up to it. But Paul lowers the bar slightly. He asks husbands husbands to love their wives as they love their own bodies. That's a bit of a climb down from the lofty heights of being as Christ to his bride, the church. That husbands should love their wives as their bodies, for a man who loves his wife shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. You can hear in that scripture the golden rule about loving our neighbor as ourself. Paul is clear, husbands are to love wives as we love ourselves. He's throwing in a bit of realism here. 
recognizing how difficult it is to mirror completely Christ's sacrificial love in everyday family life. So he's saying just as a husband, just as a man would feed and clothe themselves at a minimum, the appeal is to nourish and cherish their wives in exactly the same way. It's a good daily reminder to any married man to feed and care for his family, his wife. I mean, we'll get on to, Maggie will get on to children next week, but feed and care for his wife just as Christ cares for the church. And it's about oneness because he f- finishes verse 30 about being members of his body. The man who loves his wife as he loves himself calls himself and his wife into a deep union where the two become one in Christ. This marriage union is a beautifully stunning model of the church's union with Christ. And then that part I mentioned at the beginning about a man leaving his parents to be united with his wife being a profound mystery in relation to Christ and the church embeds this whole passage about marriage being between a man and woman before God. It's a glorious union of equals in complementary roles where husband and wife honor the Lord in his will and his way. So mutually supporting one another to be the best wife and mother, to be the best husband, father, and leader they can be, regardless of the messiness and the difficulty, whether there are no children, children, financial issues, housing issues, job issues, parents dying, whatever. When the Lord God is allowed to rule in marriage, then like the church and Jesus Christ, nothing can separate them. And marriages fail, I know that. And I cast no aspersions, but I googled, you shouldn't google, but celebrity marriages. Celebrities' marriages really are not a good advertisement. I think the shortest was, uh, wasn't even a day, I think it was Britney Spears and somebody. But uh, there was the top 25, and we didn't even get to 10 months lasting marriage. When people look to jobs, income, family background, superficial things of the world, that's not on what to base marriage. Your marriage partner must be more than that. The Lord wants his children to have a good marriage, not based on the ways of the world, on superficial filio love. We want that romantic, that attractional love that is in so many love songs, but it is not the be-all and end-all because the world cares more about romance than compassion, looks rather than character. Instead, our marriages should be based on that sacrificial agape love of complementarity. It should be marriage where there is no boredom, no infidelity, no breakup, no leaving, where there's no pain, but rather a blissful marriage of death and until death us do part. Marriage that fills the couple with sweetness of life, getting richer and fuller as the days go by, fed by the word of God. And for that marriage to exist, it cannot be a marriage of the world. Yes, marriages of the world last, some of them, many of them maybe, and they're based in friendship. But to be completely honoring God, it needs to be in Christ. And so that anchoring verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
A life in Christ is a Holy Spirit-filled life. A marriage in Christ is a Holy Spirit-filled marriage, where husband and wife are in full union before God, Father, Son, and Spirit, where the wife honors the husband in submission, building him up to all he should be for her and the family, and the husband loves, cherishes, blesses, serves, and sacrifices himself to ensure his wife is all that God wants her to be. A marriage blessed by God is an absolute mysterious thing, but it's a wondrous thing. Let those in your families who are unmarried know this. If they're not specifically set aside for singleness, the Lord wants them to be married to someone of the opposite sex in his sight. Christian marriage sings of a deep union between the church and Christ and ultimately what we will be when we see Christ again in glory, submitting brides before our holy, righteous, and Father. Almost done. John Stott summarizes this whole passage like this. There's going to be five things up on the screens coming up. The first is the requirement of submission is a particular example of a general Christian duty. That verse 21, submission in Christ, in reverence to Christ. The wife's submission is to be given to a lover, not an ogre. The instruction is not wives submit husband's boss. It's wives submit husband's love, sacrificially love. The husband, number three, is to love like Christ. And that actually is repeated three times in the passage. It's arguably a harder, more difficult requirement for the husband because it is absolutely modeled on Christ. Number four, husband's love, like Christ's, the husband's love, like Christ's, sacrifices in order to serve. It's self-sacrificial with the sole purpose to liberate her true identity before God. And the wife, last one, five, the wife's submission is but another aspect of love. I'll, find, I'll, I'll close with it. Submission, that so many people get hung up on that word, which is wives, and love for husbands, which recognizes his headship, are two sides of the same coin. And they are the basis of enduring marriage. Marriage, yes, requires readjustment when you've been single. Anyone married knows that. It absolutely does. The saying goes, when you become married, the old independent I gives way to the new interdependent we. My prayer is that we can, as a church, as individuals to our families, model this to our children and our children's children. For the body of Christ, his church, the people of God, need to live as the people of God. Amen. Father, we thank you um, for your word that speaks into our lives, all of it. There is not one part of our lives where you do not have dominion, Lord, where you do not have authority. So we submit to you, for you are a creator. If we are in you and we live with you and we walk with you, we have to submit to you in all that we do. So Father, be over our lives. I ask your blessing on every married family here today. I ask you blessings to those who are not. I ask you blessings into uh, families with children, without children all the differences, and I ask you to bless those in our families who are not walking with the Lord. Father, will you reach into their hearts, I pray.
and we give you your word to bless our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our Sunday podcast today from GMC in Dunfermline, Scotland. For more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, visit our website at gillespiechurch.org or find us on Facebook and YouTube. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page of our website or by calling the office. If you'd like to support our work with a few quid, then offerings can be made through the Support Us with Stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. This has been a production from GMC, including the pastors and tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, and the contributing music is Up to the Moon from Low Tree. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Thank you.